The reading this evening is from Romans 8, starting at verse 9, which can be found on page 1134 of the Church Bibles. Romans 8, verse 9. You, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit, if the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of God, Christ, he does not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers, we have an obligation, but it is not to the sinful nature to live according to it. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live, because those who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed to us. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into glorious freedom of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning, as in the pains of childbirth, right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us and groans with us of words cannot express. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father God, we do just thank you for the privilege of coming before you, our loving Father, through your Son. And we do thank you that we can pray to you. And we just pray now that as we open your word, you'd speak to us and change us, we pray. Amen. Sometimes we just don't know what to pray, do we? I wonder if you've had those moments where sometimes you just don't have the words. When you're really struggling, perhaps your body is failing you. You feel overwhelmed or stressed by work, by life, by exams, by all the demands on your time, and you just feel overwhelmed and you want to pray, but what do you say? Where do you begin? 
Some of you have probably stood by the bedside of someone who's dying with cancer. What do you pray? What do we pray for the couple in Derby who uh, desperately wanted children and finally conceived in their early 40s and then a little baby was stillborn? What do you pray? What do you say to God in that situation? What do we say when we look at the news, we read the papers, and we see the state of the world, and we think, Lord, and what do we say? What do we pray? Where do we start? What do we ask of God? Or what about when we see the persistent sin in our own lives, week after week, day by day, the constant failing with the same things, and we've said sorry to God, we've confessed so many times, and yet here we are again. On our knees, metaphorically. What, what do we pray? I'm sure some of us can associate with those moments when we just don't have the words. It's difficult, isn't it? Sometimes words can't express it. Perhaps we just want to groan as we lament the state of our hearts and the state of our worlds. Well, the wonderful encouragement tonight is that we're going to see that God doesn't leave us alone in our prayers. God helps us by giving us his Holy Spirit. We've been thinking, haven't we, about the Father, the Son, and how that shapes our prayers. And tonight we're thinking about the Spirit. But before we get there, the reason that the Spirit is able to help us as we pray is because because the Spirit of God dwells within us, dwells within you. And in verses 9 to 13 of Romans chapter 8, Paul is going to set up a contrast. Verse 9, it's those who are controlled by the sinful nature, or those who are controlled by the Spirit. As I was preparing this, I found it quite helpful to look at a um, a more literal um, translation from this, this verse. So here we go, it's from the ESV. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit's if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. So the contrast that Paul's making here is about those who live in the flesh and those who live in the Spirit. And those who live in the Spirit are those who have the Spirit of God living within them. If, verse 10, if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin. Yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. The difference between having the spirit living in you and not having the spirit is the difference between life and death. Verse 11. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. We noticed that before, the very same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is the spirit that lives, that dwells in you. And so therefore we can be confident he will give us new life, he'll raise us to new life. This morning we were thinking about the wonderful, beginning to think about Romans 3, that wonderful passage of our justification, our legal standing before Christ. And that is at the heart of the good news of Jesus. Debts paid, forgiveness received, righteousness given. And it is all those things, but it's more than that as well. 
If you remember back to the first sermon in the series on prayer, we talked about how we are made to enjoy communion with the triune gods. So we're made for relationship with God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But we don't just enjoy that relationship with God from a distance, like a long-distance relationship. No, we enjoy that relationship intimately. The Holy Spirit living in us. And through the Holy Spirit living in us, the Father and Son come to us and make their home in us. John 14, 23, if you want to look that up later. And so there's three things I want us to see this evening about what the Spirit living in us does. The Spirit uh, moves us to pray. The Spirit reassures us in prayer. And the Spirit helps us to pray. So firstly then, the Spirit moves us to pray. Some things change when we become a Christian, don't we? Just thinking back to the, the series of Sunday nights when we had the testimonies of people up here about all the things that have changed in their lives when they became a Christian. Wonderfully encouraging. But one of the foundations for that change is a change that happens, occurs in the way we see our relationship with God. God is no longer just God. God becomes our heavenly Father. Our attitude and relationship with him changes. See, verse 14, those with whom the Spirit dwells are sons of God. Verse 15, we receive the Spirit of sonship and by him we cry, Abba, Papa, Father. It's a wonderful moment as a parent when your little child utters the word Mama or Dada for the first time. It's a wonderful privilege. And in that moment, what they do is they recognise something. They recognise they're part of the family. They recognise they belong. Calling God Father is a work of the spirits. Crying out to God, to our Father in prayer, is a consequence of the Spirit's work. Because its sons, verse 15, no longer live in fear of God and his judgment, but instead approach him confidently, that's a work of the Spirit. See, every time you come to pray to God, every time you utter those words, Heavenly Father, you only do so because of the Spirit's work in your life, if you say them and really mean them. In um, one of the books that I recommended you can pray, um, which I forgot to put out on the bookstore, we'll do that in a minute, um, Tim Chester quotes John Bunyan, and he says this, there is no man nor church in the world that can come to God in prayer but by assistance of the Spirit. If men did see their sins, yet without the help of the Holy Spirit, they would not pray. There is nothing but the Spirit can lift up the soul or heart to God in prayer. The soul that rightly prays, it must be in and with the help and strength of the Spirit, because it is impossible that a man should express himself in prayer without it. You would never genuinely cry out to God as Heavenly Father without the Spirit living in you. And the sons and daughters, we can cry out confidently. I imagine this evening I'm talking to a room full of people like me, full of people who struggle to pray. 
Well, if that's you, then I think that for all of us, one of the best prayers that we can pray, one of the prayers we start with is this. Lord God, would you so use your spirit in me to cause me to pray? To ask God to move in us by his spirits so that we increasingly live according to the spirit and not the flesh. For as we do that, that will drive us to prayer like children to a father. And thinking about those overwhelming moments that we mentioned, you know, in those moments where we don't know what to pray, if your natural reaction is to turn to God as your heavenly father, be encouraged. You might not have the words, but the fact you do want to turn to him is a sign of the Spirit's dwelling in you. Praise God for that. So the Spirit moves us to pray. Secondly, the Spirit reassures us as we pray. Verse 16. The Spirit testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Knowing that we are God's children is not just a fact. It's not just a fact that we are sent to and believe to be true about our status. No, no, it's much more than that. It is the truth that we can know and feel with deep certainty. I'm not saying that because I'm a bit touchy-feely. Here's what um, one commentator says. The Spirit gives believers an existential, inward certainty that their relationship with God does not now depend on their performance, as it does in the relationship between an employee and a supervisor. It depends on parental love. The Holy Spirit takes a theological proposition and turns it into an inner confidence and joy. You know that God responds to your cry with the intense love and care of a parent, responding to the cry of pain of his or her child. Because you are in Jesus, the true Son. So our adoption as children is something, it's, it's a status, but it's more than that. It's something we can know and feel. We can experience God's fatherly love and care. And one of the ways that we, his, God's Spirit testifies to our spirit, I think, is through prayer. Though many of us struggle with prayer... I suspect that not many of us regret praying. You know, we come to midweek, we don't leave thinking, oh, I wish I'd never come. We leave leave thinking, I'm glad I came. I'm really glad I came. Now, perhaps that's just because we feel a little bit less guilty. (laughs) We've ticked the prayer box and our conscience is eased. Well, perhaps, but actually, maybe there's something more to it than that. Maybe it's because when we pray, we experience a wonderful peace. An assurance that comes with bringing all our sorrows and concerns before God. And knowing that he delights not only to hear them, but to answer them as a father does to his children. Knowing that he can answer them because he is the holy ruler. You see, in prayer, as we come to God as his his children, we realise in our spirit that he is in charge, not us. That he is in control, not us. That he will bring justice, not us. That he will bring healing, not us. And that ultimately he knows what is for our goods. 
Thank you. Good point. <laughs> I'm like a bit of reinforcement. The Spirit of God testifies to our spirit. It fills us with confidence of God's loving, fatherly care. And crying out to God in prayer is one of the ways I think we experience that. And so, if we don't pray, if we don't pray, then what we actually do is rob ourselves of assurance. You're robbing yourself of the assurance and the reminder of your Heavenly Father's love and care for you. As you feel overwhelmed by life's demands or exams for you guys at the back, or health struggles or the breakdown in relationships, and as you labour through those things and you don't bring those things to God in prayer, you rob yourself of assurance and comfort and hope. And so if you don't pray, life is bound to feel way more unsettling, way more out of control. And you're bound to feel more vulnerable because you act as though everything depends on you, not your loving father. And when life is hard, if you feel like everything depends on you, that's not a nice place to be. For there's little hope, there's little comfort. And so Paul says, come. Come as children to your father and pray and receive the assurance as the Spirit of God testifies to your spirits. The Spirit of God moves us to pray. The Spirit of God reassures us as we pray. And then thirdly, the Spirit helps us as we pray. Look at verse 26. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. What is our weakness? Well, I think it's probably reflected in all the verses before. Verses 17 to 18 18 talks about sharing in Christ's sufferings. We'll suffer before we experience glory. Why we suffer? Well, because of the world that we live in. Verse 20 to 22. Since the fall, creation has been in bondage to decay. So when sin enters the world... The world change. The world changes. Death comes into the world, and we live in the mess of that now. Nothing lives forever. Everything decays. Everything dies. Everything is temporary. In a sense, everything is futile. For it begins, it replicates, it dies. That's why the world's in such a mess. And creation longs to be liberated, longs to be free free from decay, and enjoy enjoy the time of glory when God's children shall truly and perfectly rule the earth. And in the meantime, in these verses, creation groans. Some of you will have um, either been through or witnessed uh, labour. Either way, it's not a great experience, I don't think, is it? You, um, You long for the pain to stop. You long for the baby to come. You long for that moment of joy and freedom and relief. And it's tough for the mums too. (laughs) (laughs) Now during a labour, a mother groans in agony, battling the pain, longing for the end. Verse 23 
Not only so, but we ourselves. So the, that picture is, there's a picture of the world, that illustration, like a mother groaning in childbirth, longing for the baby to come. That's how creation longs, longing for glory. Well, likewise, verse 23, not only so, but we ourselves who have the first roots of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemptions, redemption of our bodies. Creation groans, and also those who have the Spirit living within them groan. So one day we'll experience true, perfect adoption in God's family in a perfect world that's no longer decaying. But in the meantime, we live in bodies that fail us, bodies that decay, bodies that continue to sin, minds that continue to sin. And so inwardly, the Christian is left groaning. Just a little aside here, if I may. Romans 8 seems to suggest that all who have the spirits will groan. So, if you don't ever find yourself groaning at the state of your own heart and the state of the world, that should cause us to ask questions. It should raise alarm bells for us. We won't groan if we don't think we are weak. But we are weak. We live in a world of earthquakes and cancer and stillborn babies, and bullying, and orphaned refugees, and famine, and broken relationships. We live in a world where our battle against sin is never-ending, and we are weak. And sometimes it feels like all we can do is groan, or sigh, because we don't know what to pray. We don't know what to say. Which is why, verse 26... The Spirit helps us in our weakness because we do, know, do not know what to pray. And look at, look at how he helps. Verse 26, The Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And God knows we are weak. He knows what we like. But he doesn't stand at a distance and say, come on, do better, pray better, up your game. Learn some techniques. He comes and dwells with us and helps us. A friend of mine is a, um, a really keen golfer and he's desperate for his children to learn to play golf because it means he's got to pass out on a Sunday morning. He's not a Christian, doesn't go to church, but it means he can play as much golf as he wants and uh, tick the childcare box as well. And um, uh, I was talking to him, and the way you teach a child to swing a golf club. It's not by standing in a distance and saying, go on, have a go, have a go. No, no, you, you put your arms around them and you put your hands on their hands and you swing the club together. And the whole point is that you feel, you experience what it's like to swing a golf club. God doesn't stand at a distance saying, come on people, pray. He comes down with us and says, look, I'm going to help you. I'm going to give you the Spirit. The Spirit of God who dwells within you and groans for us and with us. He stands alongside us and helps us. And that is a massive blessing to us because unlike us, the Spirit knows exactly what to pray. Verse 27 because he prays in accordance with God's will. Well, of course he does. He's God. 
Here's a quote from one of the books that I've recommended. Because the Spirit knows what the Father wills, the Spirit prays what the Father wills. And because the Spirit prays what the Father wills, the Father knows what the Spirit prays, even when it's wordless. Give you a minute to (laughs) take that in. See, that's the Spirit who is helping us in prayer. Our prayers, as we've seen in the last two weeks, are to God the Father, through the Son, by the Spirit. And that should give us great hope and comfort when we don't know what to pray. You see, if we, we find ourselves asking for the wrong things, but with the right motives, the Spirit groans with us and for us. He takes our words and brings them to the Father, and it's almost like he says, here's what Tim really means. Here's the heart behind what he's asking. Here's how what he's asking is in line with your perfect will. When I look at the world and the state of my heart, I don't need to know exactly the right thing to pray. Isn't that comforting? The Spirit will help me with that. Actually, I just need to pray something. Because God delights to hear from his children and commits to helping us in prayer rather than condemning us for not getting our prayers exactly right. And that brings real freedom. Since the Spirit knows our weaknesses, we can be real with our Father, accepting how babyish we are in our faith and simply stammer out what's on our hearts. Sometimes we don't know what to pray. We live in a world that's messed up. Well, it's better to pray something than nothing because the Spirit of God will do the rest as he helps us in our weakness. Let me finish with this. The Holy Spirit gives us confident faith that turns naturally into prayer. I think that's a great summary for the Holy, ooh, the Holy Spirit is not a spirit of fear. The Holy Spirit that dwells in us is not a spirit of fear, but of sonship. The Spirit gives us boldness before God, confidence before him, assurance before him, moves us to pray to, far, to our Father. And the Spirit reassures us as we pray. As we pray, we, we don't just know we're adopted On paper, we feel it, we experience it. God's spirit testifies to our spirits. Through prayer, we experience God's fatherly love and care. And then God doesn't stand at a distance, but he comes and helps us. And he intercedes for us with the Father. And all this means that groaning children like us who don't know what to say can come to their loving Father in prayer. Confident that God will hear. And as we do that, well, look at Romans 8, 28, look where Paul, what Paul says next. See, when you come to God in prayer, this is what you can know and experience, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. See, it's as you pray that you'll experience that and know that. Because God's God, not you. 
God's in control, not you. Let's pray. Loving Father, we do just thank you so much again for the privilege of being your children and being able to come to you in prayer. Lord Jesus, thank you that you have made it possible for us to boldly approach our Father. Holy Spirit, thank you that even now as we pray, you are interceding before the Father on our behalf, taking our prayers and their weakness and their frailty and bringing them before God. As we remember these things, Father, would you move us by your Spirit to pray that we might experience and know your goodness and kindness and your purposes for our lives. And we pray this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.